And one of my mottos, and I live by this, I have a post-it on my wall in front of me that I keep there. It says, test, fail, learn, grow, repeat. That's the motto I live by. It's what we instill in our community. Everything's a test. And the biggest problem is that people get stuck in analysis paralysis and they're like, okay, I've got this great idea in my head. I'm just going to let it percolate for the next few years and then I'm going to go for it. But I've really come to understand that there's no such thing as a failure you can't come back from. So one of the things that I always say is when I'm trying something new, I'm like, did anyone die? No? Okay, we're good. Welcome to CEO School. We are your hosts, Sunira Madani and Shannon Monson, and we believe you deserve to have it all. Less than 2% of female founders ever break 1 million in revenue, and we're on a mission to change that. Each week, you'll learn from incredible mentors who've made it to the 2% Club, as well as women well on their way, sharing how they've defied the odds so you can do it too. You're a real business now, and class is officially in session. This episode is sponsored by The Club a quarterly box and digital monthly community to help you level up in leadership and life. Learn more today at join.theceoschool.co slash the club. Welcome to today's podcast. We are so excited to introduce Sunny Leonarduzzi to the show today. Sunny is a social media consultant, business growth coach, and philanthropist who helps experts turn their expertise into six-figure and seven-figure empires using video marketing. Sunny is the queen of YouTube, actually, and I'm so excited. We all know video marketing is just really making a huge turn right now, and I'd love to just start off Can you tell us how did you get into this whole world of video marketing? Yeah. I mean, I really fell into it by accident and by mistake, um, which is honestly kind of a common theme of my entire (laughs) journey. Um, But I never would have anticipated that it would take me where I am today. So I started as a journalist. That was my big dream, my big goal since I was a kid. And this was back in 2008. So it makes me sound like a dinosaur. But started as a journalist. My big goal was to work at the Olympics. I achieved that. I reported at the Whistler uh, 2010 Winter Olympics, Vancouver Whistler. And Wait, back up, back up, back up. You were an Olympic reporter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, um, what events did you cover? So it was a little tricky because... Basically, there's like crazy rights, obviously, when the Olympics are happening. So we had to get really crafty because our company was not one of the like official reporter coverage coverage stations. So I did a lot of sort of like behind the scenes. So I I talked to a lot of athletes. I did a lot of like community stories in and around the Olympics. But yeah, not so much like play by play, (laughs) which thank God, because I think I would not know what I was talking about. More like behind the scenes, the athlete journey, what was happening in and around the Olympics. It was really fun. It was, it was a very cool experience. So cool. So you made it like, that was like the pinnacle of being a, you know, producer doing this. Was there ever a moment where you looked around and you're like, okay, now what? Well, there was more so a moment where I was like, okay, I don't think I want to do this, which was really weird for me because my whole life I was like, I'm going to be a reporter. I'm going to work in TV. You know, that was my goal. And the Olympics, I knew they were coming when I was in broadcasting school. And I was like, I'm going to get out of broadcasting school. I'm going to get my first job. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work at the Olympics. That's going to be that. So I, I get the, the opportunity to live in Whistler during the games, do these stories. And it was hard. Like I was doing, I was working like 12 hour days every single day, filing a story every single day. I just very quickly realized that this dream I had sort of envisioned in my head was not reality. And the whole reason I wanted to get into 
broadcasting was to tell stories. And I've always just really loved people. I'm very curious by nature. And I just really love extracting stories from people. And so I realized that I was kind of being told what to say, what to do, what, how, what to wear, how to say things in this role. And I had no freedom. Like I had zero creative control over what I was talking about. And so it just got a little mundane. And ignorance is bliss. I was super young at the time, fresh out of school. And I was like, you know what? Driving home from the Olympics. I'm driving home on the last day of the games. And I'm on the Sea to Sky Highway, which if you've ever driven it, it's like the most picturesque, beautiful, straight out of movie sort of scene. And I'm like, I'm going to start my own business. I have no business background. I have no freaking clue what I'm doing. And I decided to start an online magazine of all things when, again, I have no social media really at the time. It's just Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. There's no Instagram. And I decide, okay, I'm going to start this online magazine for men written by women. It's going to be like a cosmopolitan for men. I'm going to give them style, dating, relationship advice. And then I like formulated this like superhero team of women who were all experts in all these different things. We had like a sex therapist, a relationship expert, et cetera. So it starts to grow, this little yeah, magazine. Yeah, this sounds I have fun. A, I want to you know, read it. it. Was, yeah. It was super fun. It was called If He Only Knew. And it was super fun. And I was like producing videos for it. And I was using YouTube and I was doing all these fun things. But we were making no money, like absolutely yeah. no money. So um, I remember getting a $500 check and I was walking door to door to get advertisers for the site. And I got a $500 check, but I was like, I've made it. I've done it. Like this is a success. So all that to say, I had to build the audience for this strictly using social media with no idea how to use social media. So it was like a boot camp and trial by fire of like, let's just get her done and let's get this up and out there. So I ended up building an audience and I had like a super loyal subscriber base for the, the magazine. And men that were like writing in questions every week about like, how do I tell a girl I really like her? How, what do I wear on a first date? Blah, blah, blah. Super fun. But again, no money. So I was focused on the wrong things, but because I had built the audience and had built such a loyal audience, I'd captured the attention of a lot of people being like, okay, what's this whole social media thing about? How's this girl doing this? Could she do this for our company? And so then all these people started hiring me and I became a consultant and I was really doing everything. Like I was managing the social media accounts for these companies, doing the strategy, doing everything. But most importantly, I was in charge of revenue. So a lot of these were smaller companies. And then I started working with bigger corporations. But the bottom line of any business, doesn't matter how big or small is, whatever you're doing, there better be an ROI. So I really had to focus on how do I sell with social media? in a really organic, natural way, because I loved it so much because of the one-to-one -one communication and how intimate it felt. And I wasn't broadcasting to a bunch of people. I was talking to one person. So I got really good at securing clients for all these different kinds of businesses. Like mm -hmm. I worked with a rooftop garden that sold salad to grocery stores. So I was getting grocery stores on board through social media. I worked with authors who needed book sales. I worked with like everything in between. I worked with Hootsuite, um, helped grow their subscriber base. So it was super fun, but you hit a ceiling and I got really good at it. So I did it for four years and all these people were like, you got to work with Sunny. You got to work with Sunny. You got to work with Sunny. And I'm like, nobody else can work with me because I'm exhausted. And I truthfully didn't really want to have a team at the time, but I kind of was like, okay, well, how do I do this without having a team? And the reality was I had so many clients and they were all asking me the same things over and over again that I had this like light bulb moment where I was like, what if 
I film a video answering this question and I just send it to all of them. So I don't have to get on the phone or go to a meeting. Mm. So I sit down like and I organically film. send it to them. Yeah. yeah. Just like film the video, make it, because at the time, again, this is dating me, but Periscope had just come out. It's the live streaming platform Periscope. I'm right there with you. Most of our, oh, yeah. most of our listeners too. We got plenty of young Wonderful. ones and older ones too, but I'm right Wonderful. there with you. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, all of my clients are asking me about live streaming now and if they should do it, if it works for business, et cetera. So I was like, I'm going to sit down and do a tutorial on this and I'm just going to send it to them. And at the time, my YouTube channel was hilarious. Like I had family videos, demo reels, some random blogs that I had done, but like no strategy, no subscribers. So I filmed the video in using one-to-one webcam. I'm in like pajamas from the bottom half down and a t-shirt had this way up and like really didn't put any effort into what I looked like. And the next day I wake up and it has thousands of views. And I'm like, how? <laughs> because I have no subscribers. So what just happened? When I realized, I reverse engineered and I was like, okay, this is a really searched top, highly, highly searched topic right now because it just came out. No one else has made a video on it. And there's just a lot of search volume behind it. So they're finding me. And so all these people are finding my video. And then I had like dozens of people reaching out finding my email address because I didn't even include a call to action. I didn't even know that was a thing. (laughs) And um, I was getting all these requests to work with me. And I was like, holy smokes, like, what if I did this once a week for the next year? Mm. So I treated it as a test and an experiment. That first year, I grew to 3 million viewers. Oh, okay. Casual. Okay, yeah. we gotta we gotta like stop and slow down here because I feel like this is the most incredible success story. But at every step of the way, I've been like, and she had an idea and she just went with it. <laughs> so coming back to this moment, you're leaving the Olympics. This is a very common feeling a lot of us have. Like you achieve a dream and then you realize it's actually not the dream. So can you mm-hmm. walk us through what helped you go from okay? whoops, like identity crisis to taking action to starting a business with no expertise, no background to just starting. I mean, was there a moment you were worried, how am I going to pay my bills? Like, how are you filming these videos? You know, you've got other people answering questions. It sounds like, what was that process like? So, I mean, ignorance is bliss, honestly. Um, And I'm really grateful that I started at the time that I did because I was like, I don't know anything about this. I don't know what this is all about. And I'm just going to try and test it. And one of my mottos, and I live by this, I have a post-it on my wall in front of me that I keep there. It says, test, fail, learn, grow, repeat. That's That's the motto I live by. It's what we instill in our community. Everything's a test. And the biggest problem is that people get stuck in analysis paralysis and they're like, okay, got this great idea in my head. I'm just going to let it percolate for the next few years and then I'm going to go for it. (laughs) And and then you go for it and you're like, why is nobody paying attention? And the reality is Steve Jobs is actually like the, the, the person that kind of helped me understand this concept. When I studied him and how he operated, when you look at the first iteration of the iPhone, it was not great but it was completely revolutionizing the way that phones were used. And so what he did is he led all of these user tests. He got his employees to use it. He got it out into the marketplace because he knew that until real world experience came back to him and feedback came back to him, he didn't know if he had something that was actually going to work. So that's my philosophy. I've learned that and harvested it over time, but I've really come to understand that there's no such thing as a failure you can't come back from. Um, so one of the things that I always say is when I'm trying something new, I'm like, did anyone die? No. Okay. We're good. <laughs> I love if that. No if no one's dead, we're okay. And I've been through a lot of failure and I'm yeah. like, 
every single one has led me ultimately to where I'm supposed to be. And it's created such growth. I really do believe, I've talked about this, I have a video and it's, it's called How I Failed My Way to $10 Million. Because I really do believe without failure, I wouldn't have achieved, achieved any success. Without actually trying and testing, I wouldn't know what worked. And that really is the case for YouTube for me. And I think it, a lot of it came down to YouTube started for me because I just wanted to be able to help my clients without actually having to like repeat myself nine million times. Yes. Um, and it was out of pure necessity. And I do find a lot of the best things in my business have been born out of complete and utter, I have to do this. I have no choice. So my back was a bit of against, against the wall. And I was like, okay, this is a solution. I'm going to try it. And everything along the way was sort of similar. Now, when I was starting my little consultancy, I did have this one client where I was in-house for them. And they ended up going bankrupt. So this was a couple of years into having my consultancy. And I was like, okay, I've never been in this position before. Now what do I am do? Am I getting paid? And do I wait? Am I getting paid? My next job. Yeah. Yeah. I love my little studio apartment. I don't want to <laughs> leave it. Um, I like paying my bills. Yeah. yeah. I like paying my bills. I like being independent. And I remember, kudos to my parents. I sat down with them. I'll never forget at this little coffee shop uh, here in Vancouver near the beach. And I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do because I am barely making enough to pay the rent. And like, I feel like this is really risky for me to just go full force on creating this consultancy when my biggest client just basically flopped. Um, and they both said, you've always figured it out. You will always figure it out. What's the worst that could happen? And that, again, is like a really great game. My husband and I play it all the time. And I saw it on This Is Us as well. I don't know if anybody else watches that show. But it's like, okay, worst case scenario. <laughs> and you just like rattle off the absolute worst thing that could happen. So I was like, okay, worst thing that could happen, obviously I could die. But like, that's not going to happen probably, knock on wood. But worst thing that could happen is I move back home with my parents. Is that really the worst case scenario? I, or I go and work at Starbucks or McDonald's or somewhere else and I make money. Like I'm going to be okay and I will figure it out. And there's always something that I can do. I'm a smart person. I'm resilient. I'm resourceful. I can do this. And I really do believe the same for everybody else. I think everybody else has like, or I think a lot of people when they get into entrepreneurship, they have this benchmark of like, I need to make six figures overnight. I need to be a millionaire. And it's like, walk before you run. And understand that, like, it's not, there's no shame in working a part time job. There is no shame in working in a job that pays the bills so that you can then do what you want to do. Um, instead of working in like a big corporate job that sucks the soul out of you, if you don't want to do that, I, a lot of people love it. But if you work in a job that is consuming your brain power, it's a really mentally draining. It's really hard for you to do that and also start a business. So like, what's the, sh the shame in living really simply and going after your dreams, but also having the security of that funding? So, yeah. And there's also, there's no shame in failing either. Every no. entrepreneur has failed at some point. I was talking to a psychologist, I can't remember who about this, but the whole concept of initially our bodies are built to protect us for survival, yes. right? And so if you got kicked out of your family clan and sent into the wild, the worst case scenario was like you were going to be murdered, you were going to be killed, right? Yeah. And so we still have these, our brains are still wired to be so afraid of being not socially accepted, but 
like you said, that worst case scenario, death is for most of us, that is not what's going to it's happen. It's probably not going to happen. <laughs> it's a very low chance that starting a yeah. business is going to do that to you. And yeah. I think we have to get comfortable with failing and failing publicly. That's something I'm really a big believer in. You have to be willing to let people kind of whisper about you and yes. make mistakes and learn from them and come back from that and that not be the worst thing. Yes. And it's, and, and also reframing how you look at it. Like, I'm like, I just find it so boring if somebody's never really experienced failure. I'm like, tell me more. Like, what, what have you done? Like, what are you doing with your life? I don't get it. Like, I, I, and I remember hearing Sarah Blakely talk about this and her dad would actually ask her every night, what was the biggest mistake you made today? Or what was the failure that you've experienced today? And I'm like that, I'm going to do that with my kids when I have kids, because I did very much so grow up with this thought process. And I think a lot of people do that. It's like, you have to be perfect in order to be successful. And a lot of what we see with success, we don't see that all of the work that got there, all the mistakes that got them there. And so I think that's been something that I've really tried to do is like, be very honest that my journey has been any, but anything but linear. And it's not linear growth in anything is not linear. You're going to go like this. And then it's, it's going to even out eventually, but I still have days and weeks where I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm figuring out as I go. And that's why I love what I do because I'm, I'm built for it. And I'm, I've built up my resilience and my tolerance for risk over the last decade. It's a Um, muscle. And it, it, it's absolutely a muscle. And again, you have to flex it and you have to fail and you have to make mistakes in order to actually build that muscle. And so living in a very comfortable, safe box isn't conducive to building that resilience. And again, not everybody wants to do this. I just happen to be one of those people where my brain is wired to like want to get knocked down and get back up. And so, yeah, I mean, I definitely had moments where I was like, I'm not gonna be able to pay the bills. And I had this big, very pivotal moment at that time where I was like, I'm gonna apply for jobs. And I applied for a ton of jobs. I actually got offered two incredible positions. It was like marketing manager level positions, super high up there for how old I was. And I was like, okay, I can take these or I can go for it. And same with the YouTube channel. I was like, okay, I'm going to turn them down and I'm going to give myself six months. And mm-hmm. in the next six months, if I don't make it happen, if I'm not making, I think it was, it was either $2,000 or $3,000 a month. That was my goal. I was like, if I'm not making $2,000 or $3,000 a month in the next six months, by that time, I will go back and get a job because I can always get a job. I know yeah. that now. Now I know that there's opportunity. And so I did it. And that's when everything exploded. It's really smart too, putting a timeline too, because it really pushes you to, you know, I think a lot of times we'll say, oh, it's not happening as fast as I want to, or like, well, I'll just sit on this idea and see if it's successful, but giving yourself that clear timeline. Okay. Six months to make at least $2,000 a month. And if I don't, then I'll go out and I'll get another job. Yeah. I think it's something that we've heard on this podcast a lot. I know I did. I know my, my partner, Senior did as well. I kind of want you to spill the tea though right now. Would you mind sharing one of your biggest failures and the lessons learned from it? You're sitting here talking about people aren't that interesting if they don't fail. I'm like, yeah, I agree. I'm like, tell me your worst <laughs> failure. I mean, I have a few to be honest, but probably my my biggest, which for a long time, and I still feel hesitancy saying it's a failure, but it was in a lot of ways because I feel like I failed myself. I had a very severe burnout in 2017, like ended up in the hospital. Paramedics thought I was having a stroke, got rushed to emergency. And why I say I failed myself is because I basically was kind of on autopilot. And I think I got very subconsciously caught up in what entrepreneurship looks like and what I thought it should look like instead of 
what do I want it to look like? How do I want to feel on a daily basis? And so I kind of was just in like robot mode and I was doing the same things every day and I was exhausted. And I had many warning signs. I woke up one day and I had welts from my torso up to my neck and there was no reason for it. And the doctor was like, you're having an allergic reaction. And I was like, there's just no way. There's nothing I've eaten that could give me an allergic reaction. You know, not long after that, I woke up and I looked like someone had punched me in both eyes. And my eyes had basically swollen up to like a crazy point. And same thing. It was like my body was screaming from the inside saying, you have to slow down. You have to make a change. And then burnout. And it happened when I was on vacation. And that's the most interesting part to me about it. It was like, finally, I did take a second to slow down. I was in Vancouver. I just did a little staycation. I took two weeks off. It was the first time I really had a team to support me. And I knew I needed a break. And so I took a breather and I went to the beach that day. And that night, if anybody had asked me, I would have been like, yeah, I'm totally fine. I'm so happy. I'm so relaxed. And then I couldn't fall asleep. And that's rare for me. I'm a really good sleeper. And I just started to get like, my body got really hot. My hands were shaking. I could barely breathe. And I didn't know what was happening, but it felt like I was dying. And I, in a very meta moment, I like grabbed my computer. It was like two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what to do during a panic attack? Because I just assumed maybe that's what was happening. And uh, that wasn't helpful. And then I, try, I just kind of paced around my living room and then I watched TV and I was like, okay, nothing is working. And then I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror and I was white as a ghost, like completely white. And so I finally just ended up, I phoned my now husband because we didn't live together at the time. It was middle of the night. He didn't pick up. I phoned my mom and I don't know how she randomly picked up. It was three o'clock in the morning. Know. Moms no. know. <laughs> She's like, I knew I had an intuition. She Wit, like gets in her car, drives from the burbs to downtown to my apartment. And my mom is a very tough cookie. And she comes upstairs and I'm thinking she's going to walk in and be like, okay, you know what? We just need to like calm down. Let's just have a tea. Let's just go to bed. And she comes upstairs and, and she's trying to be tough, but I can tell by the look on her face, she's absolutely terrified. She's never seen me like this. And she's, she says pretty much immediately, I'm going to call an ambulance. So I'm lying down on the couch. I am now like green I really am having a hard time breathing and my heart is racing and I have a heart issue that I got surgery for when I was 18. So like, that's a sensitive subject. So I was like, am I having a heart attack? Maybe that's what's happening. And the paramedics come and again, I'm expecting them to come upstairs and say, you're just having a panic attack. Yeah, it's not that serious. You're fine. They come upstairs, they hand me two baby aspirin. They do all the tests. They're like, you're having every symptom of a stroke. We're rushing you to the emergency. So they take me to emergency. They ran all the tests. Thank goodness it wasn't a stroke, but I was 29 years old at the time. So I'm just sitting there and it wasn't even the physical symptoms that were the hardest for me to digest. It was like, how did I let myself get here? I had so many warning signs. I feel like I take really good care of myself, which on the surface, I'm super healthy. You know, I'm like drinking the green smoothie. I'm going to do the workouts. I'm doing all the things. And I very quickly realized, and I haven't reached burnout again. I haven't had panic attacks since which is kind of incredible considering how severe it was. And I've definitely been on the verge a few times, but I now know. And I realized that all the healthy things I was doing were just hitting the surface. I didn't get to the root of like, why was I pushing myself to the point where I'm breaking out in walls? Why am I pushing myself to the point where I'm waking up with, you know, my eyes swollen shut? And that is the work that I've been doing that I continue to do to 
figure out that programming, which now that I've talked about this so many times, it's unbelievable to me that pretty much every person I've spoken to can relate. Yeah. I was, you were telling that story. I'm thinking, wow, this is so intense. I'm so sorry you went through this. At the same time, I'm thinking, yep, I've done that. Like how common is it for us to just ignore every warning sign? Because, and especially like, we're strong, tough women, you know? Mm-hmm. We're like, no, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm good. Yep. I, don't, I don't need help. So what have you, I would love to, I would love to hear because I've definitely, I've been burnt out, not that extreme. I would love to hear. There's something, a story I've shared in this podcast before. I, I texted my husband one day and I said, hey, I dropped the kids off at school. I'm leaving to take care of myself. I'm not okay. And like literally yeah. dropped them off and just drove four hours and just left. And so I think that this version of entrepreneurship that we think that it should look like versus what it actually can look like or does look like behind the scenes that nobody knows. I'm sure from the outside when this is all happening, you're having successful launches. I think I found you in 2017 and I was like, wow, she's so cool. And she's got this great YouTube channel and she's so amazing on camera and I want to be her. So I think it just really speaks to that this can happen to anyone. You really have to be diligent about taking care of yourself. So what have you done? What have you implemented so that you haven't had panic attacks since? Because that is incredible. Congrats. Because you run a multi-million dollar business and you have a big team. Like you're you're doing a lot of really big things and you don't have to choose. Like we don't have to choose between having success and being healthy, but there is, there's a line in, in the middle. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's almost like, what have I done and what have I undone? I think what have I undone is a better question because there is a lot that I've done in terms of just getting to the root of it. I did a lot of therapy and that was like picking it up all string and it's just like never ending of like, you know, why I operate the way that I do and why my brain is programmed that the way that it is that the more busy I am, the more successful I am, the more busy I am, the more worthy I am of everything, of love, of success, of attention, of all these things. Like that's how my brain was wired. So a lot of what society tells us too. 150% (laughs) for sure. And if you don't look a certain way, if you don't act a certain way, if you don't do these things, you're not successful. And even though I was, so the, the irony too, is I actually was on the cover of a magazine that year and I was named 30 under 30 in um, a business publication. And I have it still in my office. And I remember going to the award ceremony and I came home that night and I was single at the time and I just started crying. And I was like, I'm fucking miserable. Like I am just, yes, I'm successful, but I'm tired all the time. I have no time for really anything that's important to me. I don't really know why I'm pushing so hard, but I feel like I can't stop. It was like this freight train where I just felt like I couldn't stop. You're just holding on. Yeah, just holding on for dear life, like, okay, at some point it's going to slow down. So I think the, the big things for me, honestly, the biggest thing was therapy and talking about it and having conversations like this and normalizing it yes. and, and realizing like, okay, I'm not the only person who's gone through this. And this is very deep rooted for a lot of people. And also just doing things in terms of understanding my body, that's been huge. It actually really is frustrating to me and triggering for me that as a young woman, I was never taught that I'm not supposed to act like a man in terms of how I operate my daily life. Go on. Yeah. So this is the hill I will die on. So go on. Yeah. Same. (laughs) Same. Uh, I'm very passionate about this topic because I actually think it's so, it's so ingrained and so systemic that it is a big reason why there's not equality still at this point, because women are operating on a standard that was set and tested and researched only upon men. 
and we are not built like men. So I have done a ton of research um, and unlearning around how my body operates. And I really learned to actually embrace and love my cycle. And the fact yes. that there's four different phases to a cycle. Who knew? Why, don't, why weren't we taught this in school? And that every phase offers something actually really different and beneficial to every aspect of your life in terms of how you work, in terms of your productivity, in terms of your relationships, in terms of your self-care, all of these things. But like I was operating like a robot. Yeah. 32 years of my life, basically. Well, like uh, hormones that a man has and we don't, it's different. And when you realize different. that you can organize your calendar and your schedule to, you know, be creative during periods yes. that you have more natural creativity and to rest during periods that your body needs to rest. I think that that is something I just absolutely, I'm just nodding my head. Yes. Because not only that, we're trying to like close the gap and keep up and do things in the same way that men have been doing them yeah. to create success. And it's just not the same. Like it's I, not it's the not same. the same. It's not the same and it has to be redefined. So for me, once I started to understand that, I started to lean into it and practice that every week and every day is meant to look a little bit different and simplify. Like I subtracted so much from my life and from my business around that time. I got rid of offers I cut wings and aspects of my business that were just way more stressed than they were worth. I fired clients, a lot of them. I got rid of stuff. Yeah. Killing products is so therapeutic. It is because you're yeah. like, why do I need this? And, and I've really, we've operated with two products and that's it for the last couple of years. And oh my gosh, it's the most liberating thing. In addition to that, I'm so, so proud of our programs because they are my main focus. I'm not trying to diversify my attention to a whole bunch of different things. So, and our team is really lean. It's tiny but mighty is what we always say. So I think what I did was I did the work to understand why I operated the way that I did. And then I did the work to unlearn a lot of it. And I'm still doing it. Yeah. I'm example, like this week, I probably overscheduled the crap out of myself, which I rarely do at this point. And I'm I'm tired. Like today I woke up and I'm like, I'm really, I'm really tired. And I can feel that like little doll headache. We all know how that feels yeah. and I'm ready for a rest. And I acknowledge that. And I think that's a huge win because that's I'm like, a huge win. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to bed early tonight. I'm going to veg. I'm going to ask for help. Like I texted my husband. I was like, Hey, I need to go grab this thing for tomorrow. Can you pick it up for me? He's like, absolutely no problem. That also was a lot of the work that I did was the people in my life asking for help. Yeah. And being honest and saying exactly what you said to your husband, you said, I'm not okay. And I've, I've said that multiple times. I've been like, you know what? I'm not okay. I'm having one of those weeks or days where I am just hit my limit. Like, so, and that's okay. So I kind of, I always say I go back to three A's. It's like my now strategy. It's like, what can I ax? So get rid of, what can I automate? And what can I ask for help with? So whenever oh, I'm I like feeling, that. Yeah. Whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed, those are my three A's that I go to. Automate, ask for help. I love yeah. that, especially as women. I, I genuinely, and I don't want to generalize because we're all unique, interesting human yes. beings, but we do struggle with asking for help. And I, for sure, I love that. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you for sharing that story so intimately because I am confident it was really affirming to me to hear. And I'm so confident that this has really helped a lot of women. I'm so impressed. So you build this multiple seven figure company, you do it while getting, you know, 30 under 30, going through this huge health 
crisis. Obviously now you're incredibly successful and have this one of the things that I look up to the most, especially in this industry, is longevity. Like you've been doing this a long time yeah. and doing it successfully. And that is the exact kind of person I want to learn from. So I want to hear like, what are your top tips to build a six, seven, multiple seven figure business? If you could pick, you know, these are the things that really got me here that I would recommend for our listeners. Oh man, I have so many things that I could share on this, but I think that honestly, that's the thing I'm most proud of too, is like our programs have stood the test of time. And one of them has now been around for almost five years. The other has now been around for almost three years. And those are the, those are the only two we focus on. So I would say a big piece for me was simplification. I always say subtract for success, making the absolute best products, like hands down, which takes a lot of time. And I just did two months where I completely went behind the scenes and I call it a bow and arrow phase. And this has been hugely helpful in me growing a business. I basically go behind the scenes so we can slow down to speed up. So I stopped posting on social media. I stopped doing anything external. And I just went behind the scenes and I really focused on our current programs and how I could make them better and kind of got rid of all of the noise around me. And I focused on all of our client feedback. And I was like, okay, I'm going to implement this here. Kind of put like a big puzzle together, redid our programs, updated them. And now I'm like, okay, my only focus now for the rest of the year and probably the next two years, to be honest, they won't need to be updated again for a while is just to market them, sell them, get more people into the programs, get more results. So I... I operate on a flywheel model, which is something I learned from, um, I can't remember the name of the book right now, but it's based on the Amazon principles and it's like Jeff Bezos' principles. And he talks a lot about flywheels. So the flywheel of our business is have the best absolute top-notch programs in our industry and then get obviously people to enroll in those programs, create amazing transformation for our clients when they enter the programs. And then those people become your loyal ambassadors who are like, okay, you want to learn about YouTube? She's your girl. You want to create a course? She's your girl. Um, And then that creates more course enrollments. And then that creates more transformation and that creates more ambassadors. That's really the simplicity of it. So at the core root of everything we do, is our program the best and are our clients happy? That's honest to God. That's it. (laughs) That's the simplest piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree because I think a lot of times when I hear from people, oh, you know, I've sold it a couple of times, but I can't sell more. The first thing that I say is, well, why aren't the people that bought it selling it for you? Because if they're not, then your product isn't strong enough. And I've never heard of it like a flywheel. We teach it a, a bow tie model, but I love that because you should have, you know, if you sell a 10 customers, you should have at least three that are telling their friends and family and bringing in new customers. And our business was started, I had one mastermind program and the whole thing was based off of referrals. So we'd have six people in, six people would get wins. The next group would all be one friend. Each of them would bring in a new friend. It wasn't like written out like that, but that was just how it happened. They referred a friend. And I think that it's a really good checkpoint to see like, hey, we're not growing. This product isn't growing. Absolutely. more time into the product. I'd love to hear more about your product creation and like updating process, especially around you've got digital products. This is a big thing that we teach and talk about at CEO school. What are some of your top tips for creating a good product that brings in new people? My biggest tip, I say this a lot and maybe somebody else has heard me say this, but I really focus in on people pay for transformation. They don't pay for information. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big believer that if you're creating any sort of digital product or program, it has to be based on a transformation. We, the way that we teach it is 
what is the zero to hero journey that you're taking your client through? So where are you taking them from and where are you taking them to? Um, And the really key component of it is identifying one person and having a very clear avatar for who you're trying to help and where they are on their journey. And then one key transformation. I think a big issue when it comes to online courses is people think, okay, I'm just going to throw all the information I can think of in there and (laughs) that'll be done. It's overwhelming. And also you have to think about it in terms of, I do like the, the visual that I like to represent this with is it is a zero to hero journey. And imagine that you're climbing a mountain and the top of the mountain is your hero state. And if you're climbing up a mountain, I live in Canada. I love to ski. Like it is exhausting <laughs> to go uphill. And so nobody wants to be on that journey for a long time. And your customers are the exact same. They want to get from zero to hero as efficiently as possible. So the hardest part for you as the course creator is to subtract and to get rid of the things that aren't entirely necessary. So the formula that we help our clients use in in order to create a course is, and also in creating their YouTube content too, is like, what is entirely necessary? So where is the outcome? What, who do they want to be? What is their desired state as that hero outcome? What are they hoping to learn? Um, and then what's the zero state? And then the formula to get them from zero to hero is basically just a brain dump based on your own experience, market research, et cetera. And then from there, what can you subtract off that list? Because not everything is going to be applicable to actually getting them from zero to hero. And that subtraction step is vital because if somebody enters your program and they want to get that result and it's taking them three years to get the result, they're not going to be a happy client and therefore it kills your flywheel because they're never going to tell anybody else to join this program. So that's really the basic like principle that we follow when we're creating our programs and when we help our clients create theirs as well. That's such a good question that applies to long past product creation. Is it absolutely necessary? Yes. I asked myself that every, that's why I updated the programs too. Cause I was like, okay, there's a lot of stuff in here. This, this has been running now for both these programs have been running now for a couple of years. And like, we really do listen to our clients every single day. And I was like, okay, I'm growing a list of things that I don't, I think they're too complicated and I think we don't need them. So let's ax them out of there. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So you're some of your top tips, whether you ax, automate or ask for help. I love that. Creating really good products with a flywheel model. Is there one other like top piece of business advice you would give to maybe specifically around video or video marketing that you would give to a new entrepreneur is just starting out? I know how overwhelming it can be to, I know, I know you're doing reels because I'm following. They're adorable. Um, <laughs> like getting in front of camera, like this can be very overwhelming as someone who's starting yeah. a business to just start getting on video. So what advice would you give there? Yeah. I mean, great question. And something that I obviously talk a lot about with my clients and I mentioned to you before we even started, like I don't consider myself a video pro. Um, even though I made hundreds of videos at this point, I'm so simple and basic when it comes to getting my message out there. And I learned this lesson kind of the hard way. Again, this was another failure, but, um, when I started growing on YouTube, it was out of pure necessity and I was making videos for my clients. And then I was like, okay, we'll do this every week and let's see what happens. And I was using a $80 webcam and a window and that was it. And I was in my tiny little apartment. I hit 100,000 subscribers and I was like, oh, okay, now I need to get a nicer set. I'm legit now. I'm, I'm legit now. I need to look legit. And that was such a huge mistake because I had a partnership with a company here and they had a huge multi-million dollar studio. And then I got this whole crew and we made it look so professional. We put out those videos and my audience was like, what? 
I don't like this. Um, I like the girl sitting in front of the webcam with like really awkward lighting. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I went back to just filming my apartment. And it's almost like I've gone through this whole journey of like discovering myself through being on camera. And I think it is an amazing self-discovery tool. And entrepreneurship, I really do feel like is the best practice in self-awareness. And so ironically, like if you look back on my first videos, like my very first videos where I was like an absolute disaster, didn't know what I was doing. I like perfect hair, perfect makeup, straighten the hair, did all the things. And that was a lot for me of like, when I was in journalism, it was like, you're not professional if your hair is curly, you got to keep it straight. So for four years, I never went on camera without my hair perfectly straight. That would take me like hours to do. And I kind of had a turning point where I was like, nope, I'm going to just show up exactly as I am. I'm going to own my curls. And that's going to be that. So now I really do believe, and I say this all the time, the key to success when it comes to video, when it comes to YouTube, when it comes to social media, when it comes to anything, when you're forward facing is clear intention of why you're doing what you're doing, relevancy to who you actually want to attract and where you want to be known as the authority. And then you, because you're the biggest differentiating factor. No one can compete with you if you're just yourself. So own who you are show up exactly as you are, even if you feel uncomfortable, because at the end of the day, the cold, hard truth, people don't care. People don't care about you. They just need to know the value that you're able to bring to them and then they'll care. So I say that all the time about YouTube. like, people don't care about you. They care about what you can do for them. And then once you do stuff for them and help them, then they're in for life. So understanding that Whatever you're maybe insecure about is actually something that someone else out there needs to see and will appreciate so much because you're showing up in a way that they're not seeing anywhere else. And we need that representation of all different walks of life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that it's something that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. You know, I have to have makeup on. I have to have my hair done. And unfortunately, society has put those pressures on us, but it's Mm -hmm. just not true. And especially if you're trying to connect with an audience, they want a real human on the other side. When stories came out, I mean, it's been a long time now, but when stories came out, I had little kids and I wanted to show up in my business, but I literally didn't have time to quote unquote, get ready for the day. And I started showing up without makeup and I couldn't believe the number of people that said like, wow, it's so great. show up without makeup. And now all these years later, I think how sad that we feel like we need to paint our faces to be acceptable. I mean, most of the time you'll see me, I don't have makeup on. This is what I look like. You don't need to become something that you're not to be respected, to have important ideas to share. And if you'd like to do that, that's great. And we accept that too. I mean, it's a beautiful expression of who you are, but you have good ideas worth sharing and don't let this fear of, you know, what you look like on camera camera stop you. So that's yeah. Like, and I think, for coming. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I love it. I love your TED talk. I would come to it any day, but I think that's also, it kind of goes back to that whole thought process around like, why aren't women taught more about, you know, our cycles and how to operate in the most optimal way for us. Again, I think a lot of what we're taught is ingrained in perfectionism because perfectionism, ultimately I see it as a barrier and it keeps so many people from doing what they're meant to do in this world and for sharing the gift that they have to share because they think that it's not acceptable or doesn't fit in a box. And I know after doing this for so long that the people who don't fit into a box are the people who are the most revered and the people who are the most celebrated because they give other people who look and sound and act and think the way that they do an opportunity to be like, oh my gosh, 
that's me, that's successful. Now I can do the same thing and it provides permission. So I am a recovering perfectionist for sure. And I still battle with it, but I know that it's ultimately for me, just this way of like procrastinating and keeping myself safe and protecting myself. Whereas showing up like, you know, unfiltered, all that stuff is a way for me to break through and to just be authentic to who I am. And it's weird. It's like little things. Like I really try my best not to use filters on social media anymore. Cause I'm, and it's, that's not like me being like, everyone should do this, but I just, reality. Yeah, I just had this like trigger in my brain where I was like, this isn't helpful because if people think I look like that all the time, like they're going to think they have to look like that all the time. (laughs) And that's not healthy. And we're also seeing such negative effects on young women, particularly both young women and men around like wanting plastic surgery to look more like a filter. Like that's messed up. Yes. So yeah, that's again, my soapbox and Ted talk, but And you spoke too about like, sorry, the permission it gives other people, you know, when we're thinking about ourselves and we're worried about how we look or what people are going to say or how we're going to be perceived, we're not thinking about all those other people that when you show up differently, you give other people permission to show up differently as well. And it gives other people permission to take up space. So it's something I feel very passionate about as well. Tell us more about your programs because I know we just spent a lot of time talking about how you make these great programs and implement this feedback. Tell us more about your programs, what you help people do and how they can find out about them? Well, I mean, I've obviously worked with a lot of people at this point and I really, I think it's the journalism roots for me, but I do believe that if you have a story, you have a niche. And I can tell you, I've worked with a lot of people at this point, over 10,000 clients. And I talked to a lot of people as a journalist and some people were on paper, not the most interesting, but there was always a story within them. There was always a lesson that they could teach. And so I really do believe if you have a story, you have a niche, if you have a story, you have a business idea. And so what I help people do is come up with their business and their course ideas. And usually you have like three to five in you. So most people that I work with who start going through the process, they discover they have a ton of things that they could do like an online course around or create YouTube content around. And I created this 40 minute masterclass totally free. And basically it walks you through how to unlock that and also how to then package it as we talked about into this highly scalable online course and program totally organically. And then how to leverage YouTube to get your message out into the world and to enroll people into your programs that are going to be the best in class because that's how you're going to create them. So 80,000 people have gone through it. It takes about six weeks from watching the masterclass to actually seeing the results that you're looking for. And it honestly could change your life. So um, you can go to workwithsunny.com to grab it. That's very cool. I'm, I want to applaud you. The amount of time and energy and effort that goes into building a program like that. You have so many phenomenal results and just, I believe so deeply, we do all have very important stories to share. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. Where can we find you on social media? Where do you like to hang out? YouTube, Instagram, where can we find you and hit follow? I'm most often on YouTube and Instagram and everywhere you can find me just at my name, Sunny Leonard Easy. Okay, perfect. And last question I have for you. Are you ready for this? I'm so ready. (laughs) What advice would you give to yourself if you were just starting out again, knowing what you know now? I would give the advice to myself of take a pause and listen to yourself and don't put so much weight into other people and what they're telling you to do. That's good advice. It's very good advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You guys go give Sunny a follow and you can join her. We'll link up those show notes below as well. Thank you, Sunny. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. We want to invite you to follow CEO School on Instagram for show notes, inspiration, and exclusive behind the scenes you won't find anywhere else. 
We also have an absolutely incredible free resource for you. It's the seven lessons we learned building seven and eight figure businesses. These are complete game changers and we want to give it to you completely free. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast, why you love listening, screenshot the review and email it to hello at ceoschoolpodcast.com and we'll send it your way. See you in the next class.